0: John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 through the end of the chapter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Now none of his disciples dared ask him, "Who are you?" They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" He said to him, "Yes, Lord." This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And this is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God. You may have your seat. So a reminder here, if we could give a big survey of John's gospel, it begins with the famous prologue that we read last week on Christmas Sunday. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we learn later that that Word became flesh and made His dwelling upon man. That's the famous prologue in John's gospel. And then we have the public ministry of Jesus going from the rest of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 12, the private ministry of Jesus, chapters 13 through 17, which leads to the passion of Jesus, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, climaxing in the resurrection appearances that we saw a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 20. And that's really the climax of John's gospel. He even ends uh, chapter 20. Um, ends with this statement about the purpose of the book, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, Uh, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the, the climax of the book, the purpose of the book. And so what we have here is kind of a postscript to the book. shows another of the resurrection appearances of jesus actually there's there's a couple of unique features that i want you to notice about this first it's the third resurrection appearance or at least that's the third if, as numbered by john as we read um there's this miraculous catch of fish that we saw in verses 1 through 14 jesus uh sharing this meal with with all of the disciples Um, This is yet another miracle of Jesus because it seems as though they had fished all night, went fishing all night, did not catch a single thing. But then at Jesus' instruction, they were able to yield a harvest that was was quite amazing. As a matter of fact, John numbers that specifically for us. There's a lot of discussion about the meaning of that specific number, 153. Um, Here is my best guess at what that significance of that number is. When they counted, that's how many there were. <laughs> I don't I don't think it means a whole lot more than that. Um, there's many, throughout church history, there's all sorts of fanciful things that they break it down and they quote an ancient historian that says, uh, or an ancient historian and scientist who claimed that, that, I think this was in the first century or something, that claimed that there were 153 species of fish and that's all. And so that this is to represent all of the fish and then you tie that in to being fishers of men and then this is a sign of the harvest of all of the uh, of the nations of the world Um, perhaps I think that's fanciful Um, I I won't even really get into St. Augustine's uh, way he numbered this out in some fanciful scheme and and uh, you could read that for yourself but let me just tell you I think that's just how many they caught which at that time would a significant W- they would have perhaps known, or the readers would have known, this was just way more than we would typically catch at a time. That's a unique feature here. It's the third resurrection appearance of Jesus. There's another miracle that takes place, and that's the catching of the fish. And then there's this statement about the greatness of the life of Jesus Christ in verse 25. I love this verse. G- John's like, I did so, I wrote so much here, I wrote 21 chapters although he didn't have chapter numbers back then. But for us, the equivalent of 21 chapters here, he had written all about the life of uh, his savior, his master, his rabbi. And he goes, I left a whole lot out. There's a lot on the cutting room floor, so much so that if you took all of what was left on the cutting room floor of this gospel, the entire world, couldn't contain all of the wonderful things that could be written about Jesus. So those are all the very unique things that we see in in this last chapter of John's gospel. But if I could, I would like for us to focus on the latter half of the chapter, beginning in verse 15 uh, through the end. What's remarkable is that considering that this was authored by uh, John, and we've said this many times in our series, we've, we've, uh, sp- we speculate, we, we, we have a really good idea that this is the apostle John. He, he actually tells you that there were many other things, uh, or he says, verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. He's referencing the one that was following behind Peter and Jesus as they were walking. He doesn't refer to himself as, as John here, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so what's very fascinating here is even though that this is John's gospel, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, that he's the author of this gospel, the emphasis here frequently in John's gospel is on Peter. And here in this postscript, it's almost dominated by Peter and his relationship with Jesus. And so I want to notice three things as we... Uh, continue our study here in the rest of this chapter, and I'll give all three of them now. We'll go through each one. Jesus reaffirms Peter and his mission. Jesus predicts Peter's martyrdom, and Jesus sharpens Peter's focus. Let's go through these one by one. Jesus reaffirms Peter and his mission. Verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He He said to him, feed my lambs. He, in verse 16, this is Jesus now, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He, this is Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very interesting, this threefold uh, question and answer that Jesus gives to Simon Peter and it seems undeniable that this is connected to Peter denying the Lord three times after Jesus was arrested and taken to his crucifixion you see this in John chapter 18 Jesus had had spoken of it beforehand that that Peter would before the rooster crows you will deny me three times and indeed it did happen and Peter didn't even wasn't even aware of uh, really, that this was happening, and until that rooster crowed, and then he realized and remembered what Jesus had said. So, Peter, who loved Jesus deeply and yet denied him and rejected him three times, how distressing this would have been to Jesus. But yet notice how merciful that Jesus is here, that he now in the same number of times, reaffirms, asks him to reaffirm his love for him and recommissions him. And what's interesting here is before Jesus is now going to commission Peter to be leader in the church, after Jesus will ascend to the heavens and the Holy Spirit will come, On the day of Pentecost, like it says in Acts chapter 2, Peter is the one who stands up and gives that sermon. As a matter of fact, Peter dominates the beginning of the book of Acts as the church's mission is spreading around. But before, before Jesus commissions Peter to do that, he does something very important. He asks him to reaffirm his love for him And thereby reaffirming, Jesus is reaffirming his love for Peter. And so let's think of it this way. For a Christian, loving Jesus is the most important thing of all. Jesus, of course, had forgiven Peter. Just days earlier, he had been at the cross. Suffering and pouring out his blood and pouring out his life for the forgiveness of sins, which included Peter's. So Jesus did forgive Peter, and he was going to commission him now, restore him to his ministry as the spreading of the gospel was to go around. But in order to do that, I think he was reminding him of something of very important here that loving Jesus is the most important thing of all. Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, I, I believe in you. I believe you have the capacity. Of course, as I pour out my spirit upon you and the, you're guided by the Holy Spirit, you're going to do wonderful things. But what matters most is do you love me? That's a question for us as well, isn't it? Do you love Jesus? As a matter of fact, it's even more important as we are called in ministry to serve one another. And I don't mean occupational ministry like pastors or elders. Um, all of us are called to ministry, but it applies to all of us. I would add this little thing here, too, in addition to loving Jesus is the most important thing, but serving Jesus in ministry to him Flows from a heart that truly loves him and rejoices at being reconciled to him. Notice the pattern that's, that happens here. Do you love me? Yes. And then he commissions him with a task. Do you love me? Yes. And then he commissions him with a task. Do you love me? Yes. And then commissions him with a task. Notice how loving Jesus precedes serving Jesus. One commentator put it this way, personal love for Christ should always have precedence over Christian service. Our service to Christ flows from a heart that loves Christ because of his great love for us. And then notice the ministry that Jesus is commissioning Peter to do here and how uh, it's embedded in Jesus' exhortations once he hears Peter's answers. Notice these uh, terms. Notice a couple of the verbs here. In the first response, in verse 15, uh, after Peter says, says, yes, I love you, he says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Now, the lambs here is the, the diminutive And the feeding, you know, you've got the entire metaphor of like feeding my lambs. Now, you you have to go back in John's gospel to John chapter 10, when Jesus had had explained what, uh, when he had used the metaphor for what his people are like. Remember, he called himself the good shepherd. Let me just remind you here, John chapter 10. He talks about, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheep, Fold by the door, but climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door of the sheep uh, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep out by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A little bit later. He says, I am the door to the sheep. And then a little bit later, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to destroy, to kill and destroy. I came that they have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not lay, uh, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and he scatters them. Flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus uses this beautiful picture, this beautiful metaphor for him, for for he as the the head of the church and for the church, that he's the shepherd and that we as his followers are sheep. And this is what he's commissioning Peter to do. He's commissioning Peter to be an under shepherd to the great shepherd. And he tells them to feed, and he first starts off with the diminutive here, the lambs, and he says, feed them. And as God's revelation, God's word is frequently likened to food in the scriptures or it's connected to food. You know, whether it's the, the bread, you know, man does not live by it, bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, or as the writer of Hebrew says, you're, you started off on milk and now you need to get to solid food, get to some meat. All of those are references to the gospel and the scriptures. And so the call here is that as you have new Christians, little lambs, he says, you, you feed them. And the second one, he says, in his second question and second answer, he says, tend my sheep. Now, the tend there is what it says in the ESV. Maybe there's another translation. Uh, you might have, say, something like uh, shepherd or pastor. This is the verb form of pastoring. Or, of pastor. So it means pastoring or shepherding. So he's saying, now shepherding my feet and the sheep. And now he's using the, the, the regular term for sheep here. And then he returns again at the third time saying, feed my sheep again. Now, so notice again the connection between shepherding the flock and teaching the word. And this is what Jesus is reaffirming Peter and his mission here. And what a beautiful picture here. Peter is grieved that Jesus had to ask him this three times. But one can't help but think that at the overall outcome of this conversation, that that Peter does not sense that, that affirmation, the love, the acceptance of his Savior and his friend. So that's the first one. Jesus reaffirms Peter and his mission. Let me get to the second one here. Jesus predicts Peter's martyrdom. Jesus predicts Peter's martyrdom, verses 18 and 19. Right on the heels here of this question and answer of whether you love me and then this commissioning of Peter he says this, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It's kind of a vague statement there about something in your, you know, what will it be like when you're when you're older. And maybe this is kind of, it's general enough that this might be true. I imagine one day I might be old enough that Janet will just have to start dressing me. And tell me where I need to go. But here, John gives us the explanation for what he, what Jesus means by that. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he, that is Peter, was to glorify God being stretched out your hands and dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He says that this is an allusion to Peter's martyrdom. As a matter of fact, um, it's not in any of the biblical records we have anywhere, but according to early church tradition, and you can find this in a writer named Eusebius who wrote the Ecclesiastical History of the Church. So he's like one of the first church historians in the first couple of centuries, wrote a history of the church. And it's there that he makes mention of the fact that that Peter is actually um, martyred. He's sentenced to be crucified, but he specifically requests that he be crucified upside down according to Eusebius again according to church history not according to scripture this is this is outside church history that peter requested to be crucified upside down because he declared himself as being unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as his lord indeed all of the apostles were 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 martyred for Christ except for, as far as we know, except for the Apostle John. And so what's interesting here in Jesus' statement, and this comes from from J.C. Ryle, he says it this way, The future history of Christians, both in life and death, is foreknown by Christ. The future history of Christians, both in life and death, is foreknown by Christ. How often was Jesus's omniscience a theme uh, in John's gospel? When people, the religious leaders, were grumbling and complaining, and Jesus knew their thoughts, and would say, would interrogate them with what it was that they were actually thinking. Many times that happens in John's gospel. John stresses Jesus's omniscience of all things, and indeed, Peter, in his answer at the third time, when he is asked, "Do you love me?" he says. Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. But on the third time, he says, but Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus now then proceeds to go and show him just how much of everything he does know as he's commissioning Peter. And he goes, let me just tell you what the end will be like for you. Your ministry to me, your ministry to me will result in you being dressed and carried where you do not want to go and your, your arms will be stretched out too. Indeed, Peter speaks about this connection between suffering. I believe that Peter did indeed internalize this, the amount of suffering and persecution that he would receive and that all believers would receive for being faithful in serving Jesus Christ, Peter hints at this connection between, um, as John says it here, to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. Peter even hints at some of this in his letter. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Jesus is predicting Peter's martyrdom. And so what you could say that the lesson here for us is that for a Christian, the call to follow Jesus may cost you everything. The call to follow Jesus may cost you everything. Jesus is commissioning, recommissioning, reaffirming Peter, and is commissioning him on this service, and he's reminding him once again, because this is not the only time, but once again he's reminding him that this is going to result in death for you, martyrdom for you. This is not new. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 16 Notice the connection between taking up your cross and following him. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, he said the same thing. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, he says. Or notice how even the apostle Paul considered suffering even to the point of death as part of this following of Christ. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Or as he writes in Romans 14, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. The cost to follow Jesus may cost you everything. Indeed, a believer's death is even, even in death is a believer intending to glorify God. Remember the very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism? What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that in all things must be subservient to my salvation and therefore by his Holy Spirit. He, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live Unto him. Friends, the call to follow Jesus may cost you everything. And lastly, Jesus, Jesus sharpens Peter's focus. Because after saying these things, now remember when he says, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus here is alluding to the crucifixion. Um, of Peter in verse 19, and then it says, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Notice the pattern. It's there everywhere. So he says, follow me. Now then Peter, in hearing that call to follow Christ, to love him first, to love him above all things, and then to serve him out of a heart that's overflowing with gratitude for the love that he has received, the forgiveness of his sins, to serve him even unto death, And Jesus has commissioned him now, and he says, now you follow me. Then Peter, bless Peter. Peter, in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one, and I love how John puts this in here again. The one who had leaned back against him during the Lord's Supper and said to them, Lord, who is going to betray you? I can't help but notice when you read it, you see all of the competition between Peter and John. You know, like, uh, and we left for the tomb. And Peter left first, but I was faster. I got there first. You know, the the competition here. And even here, as he's saying, as Jesus is, as Peter is turning around and asking about John, John inserts once again, and by the way, it's the guy who was leaning up against Jesus and the one who was asking who was going to betray you, which the answer is Peter, right? (laughs) Peter's distracted he turns and goes what about this guy what about john verse 21 when peter saw him he said to jesus lord what about this man jesus said to him if it is my will that i that he remain until i come what is that to you okay now that saying he explains in verse 23 Because perhaps maybe in the early church, this statement was going around. And then John is just clarifying this. I'm not making any claim that I'm going to live forever. Notice verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Like John was just going to live forever. And if John was written, the gospel of John was written fairly late. A lot of the disciples were already uh, martyred at this point. Uh, the, The disciple, the apostle John if he wrote Revelation, it's written really late. He's an old man. He's exiled on the island of Patmos. So maybe, maybe there was a you know, rumor going around he was going to live forever. And he's saying, no, no, no. That's Jesus did not say that he was not going to die, but that if it was my will that he remain until I die, what is that to you? He's just kind of clarifying this. But notice what Jesus is saying. If, if he remains... Until I come again in the second coming, what is that to you? And then he says this, and it's hard to express how emphatic this is here. You follow me. You, me, keep following. You, me, keep following. Peter's just been commissioned, restored. Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. So much so, you're going to be crucified. You're going to suffer greatly for service to me. Well, what about this guy? <laughs> like, well, So Jesus needs to sharpen Peter's focus here. And what, what he does is goes, you, you follow me. Don't concern yourself with John. Follow me. Again, JC Ryle. He says that we learn that whatever we may think about the condition of other people, we should think first about our own. Okay, now this is not, this is not a well just mind your own business and live and let live. You know, why are you concerning yourself with other what other Christians do, kind of thing? No, we should do that. We do have to concern ourselves with others and what other Christians uh, believe and what other churches say they believe. Uh, say that they profess. We should be concerned about that. Uh, if, you, if we're not, then the commissioning of Peter makes little sense about feeding my lambs and tending my sheep and feeding my sheep. So it's not a just mind your own business, live and let live. But it is to say that we, in, before we make others our primary concern, We need to realize how important our own personal obedience to Christ is. And our own personal obedience, the precedence that that takes over all else. In other words, don't let jealousy or uh, comparison or rivalry distract you from what the main focus is. Following Jesus. You, me, keep following to be obedient to Jesus, that in all of our doing, that we as servants to Christ, we must never forget to tend to our own souls first. And then another reflection here is that the callings of other Christians could be vastly different than yours. The callings of other Christians could be vastly different than yours. As different as Peter and John are, I I think it's really fascinating to kind of do a little um, personal study of, of John and Peter and what the differences are in their personality. I could say this pretty clearly, that they do share one primary role in all of their life, and that is following their master, Jesus Christ. They do share that. But their respective walks, how they do it, are vastly different. Again, perhaps there was a competition between them. Both of them figure really prominently in John's gospel. But that competition should not create jealousy or comparison. They both have complementary roles within the church. Peter doesn't write a gospel. He doesn't write the entire story. Now, perhaps his ministry assistant, Mark, is connected to Peter in that way. Um, But Peter doesn't author a a gospel. John does. It's not John who stands up on the day of Pentecost and gives the first sermon explaining the gospel to all of the people in Jerusalem. No, that's Peter's job. They have They're vastly different, but have complementary roles within the church. One of them, Peter, would ultimately go on to glorify God in his martyrdom. The other, John, would be faithful throughout his long life and through his written testimony. Notice that verse 24 this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. He's writing, uh, speaking of himself in the third person there. You see this elsewhere um, in, in that great faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, talking about the faithful throughout history. It says that some of the Jewish believers at verse 34 escaped the sword and that others were killed by the sword. Both Christians, both faithful in ministry, some escape, some don't. Both serving the Lord, but the outcomes could be vastly different. Or again, in Acts chapter 12, there's, there's multiple of the believers who are arrested and thrown into prison. James was executed by King Herod. Peter was in prison, but managed to escape. Why is that? That's the Lord's doing. That's the Lord's will. That's Christ's will. He speaks about his will. If it's my will that he remain, what is that to you? But in all of the various ways that the Lord might use us in however long or short our life might be while we do it, we have to recognize and acknowledge that the Lord uses other people in vastly different ways than he will use you. And so that your primary concern should be what Jesus is saying to Peter here is do you love me? Then serve me. Serve me out of love. But it may cost you. It will cost you a lot to be my disciple. But in all of that, you me keep following John MacArthur says of this Peter's attention was not to be on anyone else but on his own devotion and duty to Jesus Christ Peter's attention was not to be on anyone else but on his own duty devotion and duty to Jesus Christ All believers will do well to embrace this truth that the Lord has a unique plan for each of his followers. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's having heard God's word, let's now turn to his table. He has fed us with his word and now he feeds us with himself, with his body and blood. Of Jesus Christ. And this meal that he has given to his disciples is more than a memorial. It's more than just remembering. That this, uh, by faith, in a spiritual way, represents his presence with us. That as we mark the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That the truth of the gospel would penetrate into us as well. In the same way that we would take bread for nourishment and wine for refreshment, that the gospel that these represent would likewise nourish our souls and refresh our spirits. In Christ Jesus. So, this is for believers. If you're not a believer, there's no um, discomfort in not coming to this table. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have professed faith in his name, then this is the opportunity that he gives us to come and to remember him in his death. And so, let me pray for this, and then I invite you to come to the table, take the elements back with you as we will. Take it together after I read the words of institution. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you do indeed feed us with your word that is sweeter than honey, that it nourishes our souls. And we pray that the truths that we were able to to read and discern from Jesus' interaction with Peter would apply deeply to our hearts as well. Now, Father, as we come to your table, that we partake of this, this bread and this cup, that we do so acknowledging our, our sin and our wrongdoing in our life, that we resolve to put those away, that we receive with gratitude, the grace that you have shown us. So we ask your blessing upon this meal and this time. We pray this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen.